Dr. R.J. Rushduni, RR161CG155, Law Enforcement, from the Easy Chair, excellent colloquies on various subjects. This is R.J. Rushduni, Easy Chair number 265, May the 13th, 1992. Tonight, Discussing, first of all, law enforcement, Douglas Murray and Mark Rushdooney are with me. Otto Scott is out of the state and will not be back for a few days, so uh, we will miss him. The subject of law enforcement is a critical one for us because we are lacking on two counts. We don't have any real law anymore. Law has disappeared because God's law is no longer uh, respected, honored, or obeyed. I was talking to someone from Europe at our Seattle conference and learned that today in Europe no one knows what the law is because the European community, EC, now has a court of Europe which wipes out the constitutional privileges and the laws of the various member countries on its own say-so. There is no constitution for Europe as a whole. But the Court of Europe arbitrarily overturns long-standing laws in terms of its humanistic presuppositions so that no one any longer knows what the law is or what really to enforce. We have a similar situation here because the U.S. Supreme Court has paid no attention to God's law and it has paid no attention to the Constitution. The Constitution, for example, forbids the federal government to own lands in any state other than post offices and military installations. But in some western states, Federal ownership of land is as high as 90%. In one sphere after another, what we now see is the decline and the disregard of law. For example, the May 10 Sunday Sacramento, California Union has an article on the death penalty. For the first time in 25 years, because earlier Robert Allen Harris was executed, the door seems to be opened to the execution of 327 men and two women on California's death row. All across the United States, a great number of people were sentenced by judges and or juries to the death penalty have been sitting in jail because games have been played with the law. And as a result, there is an increasing contempt for the law. At, uh, and the consequence, of course, is a major crisis in American life. The law doesn't mean anything. If men can sit in death row for as much as 25 years and play games with their endless appeals, and the courts and various legal organizations conspire to perpetuate this kind of game playing with the law, how are you going to have law enforcement? Douglas, would you like to make some general statements and comments? 
I think that the, uh, the term that was coined many years ago, I believe, was by Joseph Wambaugh about the thin blue line referring to the, the uh, diminishing capacity of the policeman to do his basic job of keeping the peace uh, as finally should be dawning on the population in this country that the thin blue line has holes in it, gaping holes yeah. in it. Uh, in the recent riots, uh, the police were ordered off the streets uh, by the mayor of uh, Los Angeles, and uh, the the uh, statement uh, was made by uh, Chief Gates in uh, answer to the question why the police uh, left the area where the uh, truck driver was beaten to death, and he said that he was ordered off the streets by the uh, uh, or nearly to death, he has survived. Yeah, by the uh, the mayor's office. So uh, law enforcement has become a political football, and it almost leads one to the conclusion that an effort was was made to uh, cause this riot, uh, both the riot itself and the uh, the extended consequences of the riot, in order to dramatize the plight of the urban areas. Mayors have been going to the federal government with hat in hand for many years, wanting a handout, and uh, now that the the federal government is finally becoming plain that the federal government is broke and isn't going to uh, pump any money into the inner city, uh, apparently the mayors now are in a position that uh, they feel free to take matters into their own hands. There was a police officer uh, night before last on television who was resigning his position. This was not just a patrolman, this was a, a lieutenant on the L.A. Police Department. And he made the statement that uh, uh, the Dan Lundgren, the... Uh, Attorney General should uh, prosecute and indict and prosecute the mayor of Los Angeles for inciting to riot because the statements that he made on television encouraged yes. uh, people and actually increased the intensity right at the heights of the riot. Increased, they prolonged it and increased the intensity in the uh, hearings before the Los Angeles. City Council. Even a 13-year-old girl came in to testify and to demand that Mayor Bradley resign because he had virtually asked the people to riot. Mark, would you like to make a general statement? Well, I think the fact that Mayor Bradley is black and reacted so poorly to the riots and even in effect said during the riots that they have good reason to riot uh, he's not going to suffer the political fallout because I think people are afraid to criticize him in Los Angeles because he's black and so the, the, the race issue overlaps even this people are afraid to criticize Bradley's in effect racist attitude mm-hmm towards the problem and he approached it from a racist attitude and uh, you know it increased the problem greatly Uh, I thought the riots were very predictable the first thing I I heard uh, I forgot what time of the day it was but it was midday or or earlier when I heard that the police officers have been found not guilty. First thought that occurred to me was there's going to be rioting. Well, Gates, Chief Gates, knew that the riots were coming. If it was, uh, if the the jury came in with an acquittal, uh, the mayor's office had to know, had to know. Well, I live hundreds of miles away. I don't even have my finger on the pulse sure. of Los Angeles, and I knew there was going to be rioting. They rioted over lesser things. Yeah. And if they had organized their forces mm-hmm. when they knew there was something, they could have they could have done a lot more. But I, I think they wanted to prevent calling in the National Guard or even alerting the National Guard for some time because they didn't want to to look like they were being too assertive. They were going to let them they were going to let them vent their anger. 
they, they in effect said, we're going to let them riot, I think. Well, the sad part is that in Los Angeles, the police disarmed Asiatics who were defending successfully their own uh, stores. Well, their only mistake was that they went out on the street with the weapons. If they had stayed inside their stores, the police would could not have disarmed them. Uh, it, because they are under law, they're entitled to have weapons on the premises for, for, to defend themselves and their and their businesses. But when they go out on the street, uh, that's where they stepped over the line, and that's the reason that their weapons were taken away from them. Well, we were in Seattle, uh, and the riots broke out there also. And the police chief there was very plain-spoken. He said he knew most of the rioters. They were hoodlums. They had police records. Uh, he was criticized for that statement, but they backed off because he proved his point. Now, the one uh, commentator who made sense on the whole subject was Mike Royko, R-O-Y-K-O, of Chicago. And uh, he made it clear that uh, nothing he saw on television indicated anger and uh, cry for justice. What he saw was people walking out gleefully with a new stereo set and all kinds of things and rejoicing in the loot. One person, of course, uh, I heard say he'd gotten... Uh, several thousand dollars worth of new stuff and he was coming back for the third load. Now, this is the kind of thing that happened. So, the idea that uh, the rioters were making a statement about justice was nonsense. Most blacks were also opposed to the rioting. They were the victims of it as much, if not more, than most. Oh, I believe that. But uh, these hoodlums have made it impossible for the police to work in their areas. Well, the, the gangs were heavily involved in the riots, too. The gangs yes. were the real instigators of the rioting, which, of course, the gang problem in L.A. is, is terrible. So if just the gang members had turned to rioting, it would have been a serious problem. Well, today's paper said that <clears throat> four young men were arrested for the uh, beating and near killing of the truck driver. And uh, their records <clears throat> were well known to the police. Well, the, the the problem in law enforcement is much more pervasive. Uh, you know, we're just seeing this is the first major instance of the problems bubbling to the surface, and I think there's no question in anybody's mind but that the emperor has no clothes. The government cannot protect us. Uh, the government will not protect us. They have actually taken a conscious decision not to get in the way. And law enforcement is in crisis all over this country. There's no state that you can go to where there is not a, a crisis in law enforcement because the police don't know what they're supposed to do anymore. They're, they've got so much citizen uh, oversight uh, that interrupts the chain of command. Uh, there are so many conflicts that the officer has to uh, he doesn't know where he stands. When he gets out on the street, he doesn't know what level of force that he can use regardless of what they say. He's got to make this decision in a split second, and he's got to run down a whole line of criteria before he can take action. And you just can't put somebody in that position. These people are not supermen. They're just uh, people who, you know, who have a little bit more training than the average uh, but uh, a lot of people don't realize that a plain citizen has more arrest powers than a police officer does. Yes. The, well, the, we're talking about the police department. They get their same their pool of labor from the same place everybody else does. Sure. I mean, they're largely public school graduates. Somebody who tested 
police prospective uh, police officers who were applying for the job in, a, in the Bay Area told me that out of every group tested, and they test them in large groups, they have to sign a statement saying that I have never used illegal drugs. He said the people who apply to be police officers, one-third of them fail because they can't sign that statement. Mm -hmm. He said another third of them who, who sign it get thrown out with a lie detector when they're asked that same question. That's two-thirds of them are eliminated for one reason, illegal drugs. So two-thirds of the people applying for the job have used illegal drugs. Well, it, it, it fits the general statistics of how, what percentage of high school kids have used drugs. You know, it's, mm -hmm. it falls right in there, 50 to 60 percent. Well, just after the rioting began, in the Sacramento Union, Friday, May the 1st, Linda Bowles uh, wrote on uh, the subject, Public Schools Indoctrinating, Not Educating. And she said a great deal in this long column. <clears throat> I quote a little bit of it. Laurel... Cavoso's former Secretary of Education estimated that among Americans, 27 million are functional illiterates, and another 40 to 89 million could be called marginally illiterate. Conclusion, public schools are failing at the most rudimentary assignment we gave them, teach kids to read. Studies by the prestigious Brookings Institute have compared the performance of poor inner-city students in public schools and private Catholic schools. The same type of poor kids educated at Catholic schools achieved 27% higher SAT scores and were three times as likely to graduate on time, and they were educated at half the cost. Conclusion, our public schools with twice the resources can't even come close to competing with private with a private system in the education of children, including underprivileged children from uh, single parent homes. It would not be fair, she goes on to say, to say that our kids are graduating empty headed. On the contrary, their heads are crammed with a lot of stuff. While they have not been educated, they have been indoctrinated. While they have not accumulated knowledge, they have accumulated attitudes. Johnny may not be learning how to read, but he is learning that God is irrelevant. Teachers are underpaid. Big business is ruining their environment. Rewards should be based on need rather than performance. The Alamo was a great Mexican victory. Society, rather than the individual, is responsible for crime. Teachers are underpaid. Competition is destructive. Rich people enjoy stomping on poor people. One person's opinion is as good as any other. The right to kill an unborn child is sacred. Teachers are grossly underpaid. And the only hope of the world is for workers everywhere to unite and take control. And, of course, he is learning how to put on a condom. Not everyone is unhappy. Many in the Democratic Party vigorously defend the job the public school system is doing. After all, millions of kids who can't read with comprehension, have no sense of history, can't think logically, and have been indoctrinated to look to the government for their salvation have been well prepared for a lifetime of active membership in the Democratic Party. Indeed, without this reservoir of carefully prepared minds, from whence would come the Alan Cranstons, Willie Browns, Barney Franks, Ron Dellums, and Vic Fazio's of the future, unquote. I think you could say the same about their training for the Republican Party. But, uh, our schools are teaching a lack of responsibility, and they are major contributors 
to the breakdown of law enforcement because the children have no idea of what law is because they're not taught the Bible. They're not taught to respect authority. In fact, they're taught to question authority and to deny it. Yes, there's no question about that. I was just, you took the words out of my mouth that they are taught not to respect authority. It's, uh, it's almost uh, uh, a joke in the public school system. And yet the teachers are always the ones who are most surprised when uh, they're attacked or shot. Uh, they say, how can this be in the public schools? In fact, a lot of them have to wear bulletproof vests along with the kids. And uh, they're shocked and surprised, and they don't seem to be able to figure it out. But uh, the uh, the chickens are coming home to roost. I see in the, I think, the Sacramento school system, they're having to lay off all of their security people. You know, it, it seems odd. Uh, when I was a kid, it would have seemed uh, unreal to have policemen on a school campus. Just, I mean, even at the university level. Uh, you know, I'd, I'd never uh, never heard of it until just the last uh, 15 or 20 years. And now you have whole police forces, you know, good-sized police forces with patrol cars and red lights and sirens and and uh, detention cells and handcuffs and, you know, all the trappings. It's like a city within a city. And uh, now the city of Sacramento is going to have to uh, uh, lay a lot of these people off and uh, uh, because they don't have the money anymore. The system is breaking down. Mm-hmm. Well, that's more true in, I think, the cities than it is in out- the suburbs and outlying areas because the parents are the first to object if anybody suggests bringing police on campus to look mm-hmm. for drugs, to search lockers for drugs. Uh, they don't want to hear about it. Well, it happened right here in our little community. They and uh, Bret Hart uh, local high school, uh, they they would not allow the uh, sheriff's office to come in and uh, check for drugs in the lockers uh, for a long time until finally they they finally gave in. But uh, even in small towns, they resist it because you've got you've got big city attitudes among the school administrators yes exactly what i was going to say they are trained at the universities their attitudes are urban mm-hmm. well i think uh certain things have developed from uh the los angeles seattle Las Vegas, Atlanta, and other riots that came as a result of the Rodney King solution. Uh, One of them is that uh, uh, people don't know what they're talking about. Uh, Just after the trial ended, I had a call from someone who lived close by who followed the trial very closely. And he called to tell me something which I understand was subsequently on cable television, namely that the trial brought out very clearly they had enlargements of the uh, video shots of the ostensible beating that uh, the enlargements of those frames made clear that Rodney King was not beaten. He had hurt himself when he stumbled and fell on trying to run away. But the police were doing what they are taught to do. When he was down to disorient him and prevent him from reaching possibly for a weapon or resisting, they were striking next to his head on the pavement to disorient him. If they had hit him with the force they were uh, striking the ground, they would have broken his skull. They would have killed him. So that uh, there was no brutal and unusual treatment. 
it was a standard practice. Well, I think the, the interesting thing here is the perception of the public in what they saw in that film. What the media wanted them to see. Exactly. It was repeated over... I've never seen one film of any incident repeated so many times yes. uh, incessantly and still being repeated yes. even to the day of this taping on the evening news because they want to keep that shock factor uh, going. Uh, but it's interesting. It touches on what we were talking about earlier is that we really do, don't have an educated public and the public cannot take a, uh, uh, a step back and say, let's take a look at the evidence. Let's yeah. wait until all of the facts are in. Let's find out what really happened. Uh, they are so conditioned now. Uh, I think I read a, st a statistic where the average kid today, by the time he goes into kindergarten, has seen over 3,000 hours of television mm -hmm. uh, with no value system attached to it now. And uh, so by the time a kid gets out of high school today without an education, without being able to read or write, uh, his value judgments are based purely on visual, uh, his visual perception. And, and the visual perception has been trained by television. Yeah. So that it's really a form of mind control. Television has become a, a, a vehicle of mind control of the general public. And one has to wonder if this has uh, not been engineered this way. We have an educational system that won't teach, and we have a media that takes advantage of that, uh, essentially that ignorance, the inability to, to utilize logic and problem-solving ability, and uh, feed strictly on emotion, on visual images. Yes. Well, what is obvious is that without knowing a thing about the trial or what was really involved in the way of testimony, Governor Pete Wilson, President Bush, uh, Clinton, the Democratic candidate, and Brown, and other politicians were quick with statements passing judgment on the jury without knowing what they were talking about. So, Truth was a loser in this thing. Then I think another loser was the black community. It's very clear that although most blacks did not favor the rioting, their leaders did not step forward and condemn it and express their strong dissent. As a result, the public sentiment, not that of politicians, the public sentiment was very, very strongly, we've had it. These black hoodlums have been drawing welfare, they've been preying on public sympathy, and they've gone too far. The third loser, first, the truth. Second, the black or African-American community. And third, the politicians of both parties and both political parties. Because most people reacted with a radical disgust at their proneness to take a side with the hoodlums. It was obvious from the uh, uh, TV coverage that these people were not raging at injustice. They were out to loot and they were enjoying it. So, uh, what can you say for two political parties that come out with pompous statements defending hoodlums? It means that our political process is hopelessly corrupt. The politicians have lost touch with the people they don't know what they're thinking and talking about, and as a result, we are in deep trouble. I think this may be the beginning of the end for both political parties. I'll be surprised if by the end of this decade, both the Republicans and Democrats have not fractured and
begun their disappearance from the public scene. Well, I think uh, the, the parties are going to follow what the people are, are doing in this country. Uh, you know, we've got every group, every ethnic, religious group at each other's throats in this country because of the politics of envy. Yeah. Now to go on to a different aspect of law enforcement and its breakdown. The May 11th Sacramento Union has a front page story from New Haven, Connecticut. And uh, I'll read you just a portion of it to give you the general impact because it does deal with a major and growing problem in this country. Leslie K. R. Ota made a name for herself as a zealous federal prosecutor who seized millions of dollars worth of property tainted by the drug trade. In seven years of going after homes and businesses and cars used in drug deals, she never lost a case. She traveled the country lecturing prosecutors and law enforcement officers on how to hit dealers where it really hurts. Then in December, the tables turned. Her 18-year-old son, Mickey, was arrested for selling LSD out of her car in their hometown of Glastonbury. There was also evidence he sold marijuana out of his parents' home on one occasion in 1989. The arrest cost Oda her high-profile position, and though law enforcement authorities ultimately decided against it, Oda risked losing her car and house under the very asset forfeiture law that she had championed. Her fall was occasioned, has occasioned little sympathy from those she prosecuted. I don't feel very sorry for Otis, said Paul Durbacher, 83, of Hamden, who was forced to sell his house in 1988 after his grandson was charged with selling and storing drugs there. My wife thinks she's a barracuda. And it goes on to cite others who lost their properties because of this woman who feel that She's being let off easy because they're not seizing it. Now, at the same time, Reason Magazine for May 1992 has an article by Cynthia Cotts, C-O-T-T-S, Year of the Rat. And it's precisely about this kind of thing. How by seizing properties, cars, anything, uh, they have created a situation where they have turned a lot of people into bounty hunters. It means that if uh, somebody gets into your car and has possession of a little narcotics unbeknownst to you or comes into your home, your car and your home can be seized and sold. And you are out in the cold. However innocent you may be, it makes no difference. Well, the evidence that uh, this article on reason uh, brings to light is that you now have criminals who are accusing a variety of people, criminal and non-criminal, and Everything is being seized, and some of them are actually millionaires, even though it's now beginning to be apparent that some of their evidence is manufactured. You have to choose your friends very carefully. Yes. So it's a horrifying article. And uh, the implications of it are far-reaching. It means that our federal authorities, all our drug authorities, 
are involved in a conspiracy to seize property from people. Well, this this is the outgrowth and brings into question the RICO Act. Yes. Uh, you know, it's part of the trashing of the Constitution. As much as we may find the drug trade uh, and the results of the drug trade uh, objectionable, when you throw away the constitutional safeguards, you throw them away for everybody. Yes. And it's giving the government uh, way too much power. It's become, uh, as you say, it's become a bounty hunter game, and uh, it, it really has nothing to do, it almost has nothing to do with law enforcement anymore. Yes. It's a means of funding. It feeds on itself mm -hmm. because a percentage of that money is fed back into the machinery that does the seizing. Yes. So uh, there's an enormous incentive uh, for them to be very efficient at what they do. Well, she uh, makes the statement, Federal laws have produced a glut of jailed martyrs and spurious informants. Too often, prosecutors recommend lenient sentences for kingpins who cooperate while throwing the book at middlemen who won't talk. She also says the downside comes when a minor defendant doesn't know enough to be useful. The law says you can't punish silence, but little people who are ignorant of the scope of the conspiracy often land in jail while the big shots go free. Again, she says, like birds as assembling a nest, jailhouse informants fashion a story out of any available source. Newspaper clippings, police tips, and legal documents ripped off from fellow prisoners. Again, for every bus the law allows the DEA to pay the informer a commission of up to 25% of seized assets with a ceiling of 250000 Some career informants have become millionaires, and so on. So, we are, in the name of uh, fighting drugs, building up an evil agency and creating wealthy people who are really in the drug trade or are in the business of uh, uh, inventing uh, drug deals in order to put people away and collect money. Well, the alternatives are limited, but uh, I believe I asked you once before what the biblical uh, perspective was on the death penalty for drug dealers. And uh, I think you said that there was some area in there that had to do with pharmacia mm -hmm. uh, or poisoning. Yes. Uh, and uh, that pretty well describes what's happening. Uh, they're poisoning not just one generation, but successive generations. Yes. And they're poisoning our society. Yes. Well, thou shalt not suffer a witch to live is literally thou shalt not suffer a poisoner to live. The whole problem of law enforcement uh, is... Uh, well uh, dealt with in uh, an article in the Wall Street Journal a while back which says that uh, our problem begins with a breakdown of the family and nothing is going to solve it until the family is again rehabilitated. Isn't it refreshing to hear government leaders now starting to talk about uh, rejuvenating the family after they've tried everything else, they've bankrupted the country, yes. they've done everything else imaginable, and finally they're beginning to come back to the basic building block of society. They're admitting that government has failed. I think yes. it's great. Well, at the same time, through the schools, they're helping destroy the family. Returning to the right about this, uh, as far as destroying our society, there was a lot of talk just after the riots about how our social welfare programs have failed. 
and of course with the blame being put on the liberals. And of course, the liberals used two lines of reasoning. One was the predictable, well, if you hadn't cut so much from the program, this wouldn't have happened. But the other line of reasoning was, hey, these programs started under Democrats, but you Republicans continued the program, so don't blame us. And I think that was very interesting, because the Republicans have done the same thing as the Democrats. So it's been across the board, across both, both political parties, that they've continued these social programs that have... Uh, Not worked. That have well aggravated the problem. Well, it's, it's now, that's one of the underlying reasons why people can no longer see any difference between the two political parties. There is no choice because they continue to perpetuate the same failed programs from the previous administration regardless of what party it was. Mm -hmm. And that's, and in the next two years as the debt problem becomes acute, that's gonna, it's apparent with that too. The Republicans really haven't offered a solution to the, our debt problem. No political party has. And they're still not talking yes. about it in this presidential election. That's right. In fact, they're both talking about more spending. I'm just waiting for the time when it suddenly becomes headlines and then the political candidates start talking about it like we've got a solution. As though the problem just appeared and now they'll solve it. Well, I heard some numbers thrown around in the last few days that... Uh, the United States has spent two and a half trillion dollars on the on the uh, Great Society programs. Two and a half trillion dollars, which is over half of our national debt, and we're worse off today than we are when we started. So we're just pouring gasoline on a fire. It still goes back to the responsibility of the individual. And government simply cannot do it. Well, as I said at the beginning, the whole problem of law enforcement is a religious problem. And everything has been done to undermine religion. As a result, we have uh, an evil society all around us. I've mentioned to both of you a book I read recently. Uh, the authors are Sam and Chuck Giancana, the godson and the brother of the mob boss Sam Giancana, and the title is Double Cross. And uh, the criminal syndicate has controlled to, in varying degrees every president from Teddy Roosevelt to the present. Perhaps most of all, uh, Roosevelt, Truman, uh, Johnson, and Kennedy. And uh, their control has been in uh, the areas of labor unions, big business, uh, the federal, state, and local governments. Their controls extend into the life of churches. It uh, means that as a very powerful force, they are used by the federal government. Sam Giancana worked for the CIA as well as other groups and uh, it's a grim story of the extent of the corruption that exists and how many aspects of American life are involved in it. The world of entertainment and the like is very deeply involved. So we have a situation of very, very extensive corruption and nothing is going to change it because the federal government is a key player in all of this. Only a change in the lives and faith of the people is going to turn the country around. Law enforcement begins with the individual. When the 
American people by and large who profess to be Bible-believing believe in most cases in only four of the Ten Commandments. You've got to say that their faith is worthless, their profession is an empty thing, and they have no contribution to make to anything in the way of growth and uh, law enforcement only to corruption. Only <clears throat> follow the Ten Commandments, but only one at a time. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And I think most of them don't know the Ten Commandments because in most churches they are no longer taught most churches believe that we are dead to the law. And I've known of pastors who com who declare themselves to be Bible-believing, who forbid the posting and use of the Ten Commandments by any Sunday school teacher. So... How are the children to know thou shalt not steal, nor commit adultery, nor bear false witness, or honor thy father and thy mother? I think the most poignant mm. thing that was on television during these riots was the black businessman who was <clears throat> just shouting at the crowd. Yes, I remember that. How can you teach your kids to steal? I mean, he'd already lost everything, yeah. but he was worried about other people. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and nobody answered him. No. Nobody. And I noticed that the, uh, in the, 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 I saw it the first time that it was broadcast because it was live. And uh, he uh, said that uh, something to the effect that, uh, uh, you have to teach them uh, about Jesus. And by the time the networks got around to repeating it, they had edited out that mm -hmm. portion of his impassioned plea to the crowd. Yes. Well, even the comic strips are beginning to see the irony. Perhaps you saw The Wizard of Id recently. This little boy is kneeling and praying and he's arrested and taken to the uh, king. His offense, he was praying in a public place for the king. So he's let off with a very stern reprimand, and he walks down a street uh, with uh, nude bars, porno shops, every kind of thing. So uh, that is all too true. And in the sign of each one, there's yes. a sign that says praying, praying aloud. aloud. <laughs> Everywhere but in the schools. <laughs> Government property. Well, if, it's, if we're going to turn things around, it's going to be from the bottom up. It's obviously not going to be from the top down, so everyone... Uh, has to take some responsibility for turning the ship around. And uh, I'm glad you stressed that, Douglas, especially in an election year. We need to stress. Nothing is going to improve from the top down. Neither party has in it anything to contribute to the change that is needed. It's going to begin in the families with persons who apply their faith. And in the Christian schools. Yes. There's a, a great uh, deal to be said uh, for uh, patience and waiting for the next generation, but it has to be a generation that is brought up in the uh, Christian traditions. And uh, it's the only hope we have, really. It's the only hope I see.
because there's nothing in the political scene. Uh, these people at the uh, top of the political heap uh, are totally devoted to perpetuating their own jobs and their own fortunes. And they care nothing, absolutely nothing, for the people on the bottom. Mm -hmm. uh, they can piously talk and pontificate about uh, all of the things that should be done, but when it comes to action, uh, they are paralyzed because they know that in taking action they're going to uh, get some group or other mad at them and put their own re-election in jeopardy and their own fortunes in jeopardy and they're just we're in a gridlock and I think the people are beginning to realize it yeah some years ago someone in politics told me that uh, no party will consider an issue unless they feel between uh, 35 to 50 percent of the population is in favor of it. Then they begin to express themselves on the subject and if they feel it's passed over 50 percent then they're ready to go for it. Which means that they are not uh, the trendsetters they are the trend followers. Moreover, they are behind times usually because they keep writing something long after others have abandoned it. Well, it's, it's the Jerry Brown philosophy of leadership. It's find out which way the crowd is going yeah. and run around in front and say, follow me. Yes. Now, the 60s was the youth generation, uh, so-called, and the time of youth protests. And it was amusing how many politicians uh, assumed the mantle of youth and uh, in their hairstyles and dress, they acted as though they were overgrown uh, 20-year-olds. Well, they were, they were told by professional uh, people that image is everything and substance means nothing. Yes. Now, it is interesting, the first person to realize that times had changed was Teddy Kennedy. He has around him a team of highly intelligent, if not an, very uh, moral, advisors. And they very early saw that the trend was increasingly of an aging population. So suddenly Teddy Kennedy became the advocate of the senior citizens who are now over 25% of the electorate, I believe 27%, something like that. And he is the darling of the retired people. The overwhelming majority think Teddy Kennedy is the finest man in Washington because he's always thinking of them. So that is your astute politician. He is a weather vane. And uh, it is interesting that... Uh, as far back as the late 30s, I heard a churchman who became one of the top men in his particular denomination uh, see the weather vane as the best symbol for a good church because it was always aware, he said, of the direction that the popular opinion was blowing. And I said uh, it should resist the pop popular opinion in favor of God's word. And he found that an interesting thought. <laughs> but our politicians have become weather vanes. And uh, law enforcement depends on people who say, 
like Luther, here I stand, I can do no other, so help me God. They're going to stand in terms of their faith, their belief in God's law. We have just a few minutes. Is there a final comment that uh, you'd like to make, Mark? I have a question for, for Douglas. You touched on it early in the riots. But when, if you assume that, that law enforcement, especially in crises, is going to be increasingly political uh, and people have to defend themselves, what is the law about defending yourself and, for instance, having a weapon? And you mentioned that some of these people stepped over the line when they took it out in front of their stores. Mm-hmm. Uh, what right currently do does an individual have to defend themselves? You have you have the right to use any force necessary on your premises, uh, in your home, or uh, in your business. But you got to be inside the building, and uh, it has to be clear that. The person who is that you, uh, if you do shoot, it has to be clear that that person is advancing toward you in a menacing manner and has a clear and present threat. In other words, they're holding a weapon, which can be anything: can be a piece of pipe, can be a large rock, can be a gun, can be a knife, can be a baseball bat, can be anything, and you have to be in a situation where you are in fear of your life before you can shoot. Even police officers are in this position, except in the case of a fleeing felon, if a convicted felon, uh, for instance, if they've stopped an automobile and they find out through checking that the individual inside is a convicted felon uh, from the uh, teletype and the guy gets out of the car and runs, then uh, they, uh, they can shoot him to bring them down, but that doesn't happen very often because they, they're really not too sure whether they're going to be taken to task over it or not. They don't want to go through the uh, the meat grinder of internal affairs, but for the average citizen, if you're inside your house and somebody is coming through a, a door or through a window, you have to make sure that they're inside and they have to be a clear and present danger. So looting, looting is not defined by the courts as, as a justifiable Yeah, if they, they, they come in your store, well, no, not, not looting. Um, if uh, uh, That's a gray area. Now, it used to be that you could defend your life and your property, but it depends on the prosecutor in the particular jurisdiction that you're in. Uh, they don't regard property as worth a human life regardless of whose it is. In some jurisdictions, in some parts of the country, if you shot somebody who was uh, looting your your store, uh, you would be acquitted of any charge. In fact, you wouldn't even, you wouldn't even be prosecuted. You'd go to a, a uh, coroner's inquest and they would, you know, determine whether it was a wrongful death or justifiable and that would be the end of it. There would be no prosecution. But in uh, most urban, large urban jurisdictions, you have to be very careful because the public prosecutors in large urban jurisdictions are political animals, and they're only interested in carving another, another notch on their gun butt. And uh, for them to throw you into the meat grinder on a technicality is uh, done every day. It used to be after a natural disaster, such as a hurricane, in which case uh, many of the much of the locale was actually abandoned by the populace that they would say looters would be shot on sight. Mm-hmm. Is that ever done anymore? I don't think it's been done for a long time uh, because usually the National Guard goes in immediately. You don't have this three or four day delay like you had in the case of Los Angeles where it built up to a fever pitch. But you have to be very careful, and you have to find out what the law is in your state. And uh, it's you know you have to find out what has happened in uh, in other cases to find out you know what the current temper of the local prosecutor is. But I mean, does a does the mayor or the chief of police have the right to order such a thing to stop writing? 
seems to me it would stop it. I mean, Kent State kind of stopped the student riots of the 60s. Well, it's based on state law, state penal code, but that varies from state to state. Well, our time is up. Thank you all for listening, and God bless you. Authorized by the Calcedon Foundation. Archived by the Mount Olive Tape Library. Digitized by Christ Rules dot com.